0: Hello everyone, this is Rabbi Michael Hatton, and I would like to welcome you back to Tanakhstudy.com. Today we will look at the final section of Parshat Pinchas, chapter 28, verse 16, through chapter 30, verse 1. Remember that last time we spoke about the daily sacrifice, the Korban HaTamid, the sacrifices of Shabbat, the Musaf, and the sacrifices of Rosh Chodesh, or the first day of the month. Together, these three constituted a unit in which the Torah discussed the most frequent, the daily sacrifice, the slightly less frequent, the Musaf Shabbat sacrifice, and the monthly, or the Rosh Chodesh sacrifice. Today's reading will conclude the subject by considering the holiday cycle and the additional sacrifices associated with it, beginning with Pesach, continuing through Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and finally Shmini The larger section can be broken down into two smaller units. The first unit concerning Pesach and Shavuot begins on chapter 28, verse 16, and continues through chapter 28, verse 31. The second unit, beginning with Rosh Hashanah and concluding with Shminiatzerat, begins on chapter 29, verse 1, and concludes with chapter 30, verse 1. As we will see, the breakdown into two units. Pesach, Shavuot, on the one hand, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Shmini on the other, is warranted both as a function of the time of year during which these holidays occur, as well as the Musaf sacrifice that is offered on them. The Ramban makes a remarkable comment at the beginning of the section concerning the daily sacrifice, where he argues that effectively the entire section follows on the heels of the distribution of the land lottery and the story of the daughters of Tzlovchad, because effectively the Musafim sacrifices are only to be offered once the people of Israel enter the land. As he puts it, God now commands that we complete the matter of the sacrifices by including those that will only be performed once the people enter the land. Because in the wilderness, none of these additional sacrifices were offered. I say that this is a remarkable assertion because it contradicts an explicit Mishnah in Tractate Minachot, Chapter 4, which argues that the Musafin recorded in our Parsha actually were offered in the wilderness. Nevertheless, that is the Ramban's interpretation, and certainly it seems to fit the general context better than The Mishnaic tradition. If we take the Ramban's interpretation as our starting point, then it becomes clear why the matter of the Musafin is only mentioned now, because the people are preparing to enter the land, and that is when the Musafin will become a reality, not beforehand. I should point out that in the other catalog of holidays and sacrifices in the Torah in Parshat Emor, Vayikra, Chapter 23, where once again the holiday cycle is spelled out, beginning with Shabbat and continuing through Shmini much like our section, there are actually different sacrifices that are mandated for each one of the holidays. And this is a sure indication that the sacrifices in Parshat Emor are not the same as the sacrifices in our Parsha. Parshat Emor deals with Korbanot Hayom, or the special sacrifices associated with those days, and our section deals with the Musafim, or the so called additional sacrifices, as we will see making our way through the material. We begin by reading chapter 28, verse number 16. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, is Pesach for God. On the 15th day of this month, is a holiday, for seven days matzot will be eaten. Harishon, The first day will be a day of holy assembly, no manner of labor may be performed. This of course becomes a refrain throughout the section that some days are days of holy assembly on which melacha, is forbidden. Or more specifically, melechet avoda, melechah associated with labor. I should indicate that implied within this discussion of Pesach, is that Pesach actually includes two separate components. The 14th day of Nisan, which is called Pesach, and the 15th day, which is called Chag hamatzot. This, of course, accords with the basic breakdown of the festival. The 14th day is the offering of the Korban Pesach, which, of course, includes the eating of matzot. The rest of the days do not involve any Paschal sacrifice and are marked ritually exclusively by the consumption of matzot. The Torah continues, verse number 19. You will offer a burnt offering to God. Two cows and one ram and seven lambs a year old, all of them unblemished will be for you. Umin chatam solet bilula shamen. Shlosha Esronim La Par, Ushne Esronim La Ayal Taasu. Their meal offering will consist of fine flour mixed with oil, three Esronim for the cow, and two Esronim for the ram you shall do. Isaron Isaron Taase La Keves Haechad Leshivat Hakivasim. One Isaron for, we, for each one of the lambs, for all seven of the lambs. And one goat as a sin offering in order to atone for you. To recap then, the Musaf sacrifice for Pesach consists of two cows, one ram, seven lambs, all of these being olot or holy burnt offerings, as well as one goat as a sin offering. The Torah continues, verse 23 Milvad Olathaboke Tamid, Ta'asu et Eleh. This does not include the morning sacrifice, which is the perpetual burnt offering, you shall do these in addition, verse 24, Like these you shall do every day for the seven days, of the holiday, that is, lechem, or food, burnt offering of sweet savor unto God, in addition to the burnt offering of the daily sacrifice, it shall be done along with its libation. And on the seventh day, it shall be a day of holy assembly for you. All manner of forbidden labor you shall not do. The Torah now continues with the Festival of Shavuot, here referred to as Yom Habikurim, or the Festival, the Day of the First Fruits or the First Offerings. Verse 26. (laughs) V'yom Habikurim bahakrivechem mincha chadasha ladunai b'shavuotichem mikra kodeshi hiya lachem kol melechet avoda lo ta'asu. And on the day of the Bikurim, the offering of the first fruits, when you shall offer a new meal offering to God at the conclusion of your weeks, it shall be a day of holy assembly, all manner of forbidden labor you shall not do. So here, the day of the first fruits is described as a time when we offer a new Offering a new meal offering unto God. Verse 27. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet savor unto God. Two cows, one ram, and seven lambs, one year old. Their meal offering shall consist of fine flour mixed with oil, three esronim for each par, and two esronim for the ram. One isaron. For the lamb, for each one of the seven lambs, seir izim echad alechem, and one goat, for atonement upon you, milavad tamid asu timimim lachem This is in addition to the burnt offering of the daily sacrifice and its meal offering. You shall do these. They shall be unblemished for you along with their libations. So to recap, effectively we see that the sacrifices, the additional Musaf sacrifice associated with Yom HaBikurim or the festival of Shavuot is exactly equivalent to that associated with the seven days of Pesach. Two cows, one ram, seven lambs, all of these being burnt offerings or as well as one goat as a sin offering to effect atonement. This leads us to the conclusion that in fact Pesach and Shavuot, or Yom HaBikurim in this context, are intrinsically linked together, which in fact they are. Pesach falls in what is called the first month, what we refer to as the month of Nisan, And Shavuot, of course, the date of Shavuot, is directly calculated as a function of the date of Pesach. We begin our seven-week count on the day after Pesach, on the day after the first Yom Tov of Pesach, and we will continue or conclude that count with the festival of Shavuot exactly seven weeks later. So just as the Musaf sacrifices are identical, so too the link between Shavuot and Pesach is intrinsic. They are both part of the same season. This block of holidays stands in contrast to what is now reported in the Torah, beginning with chapter 29, verse 1. <speaking> In the seventh month, on the first day, it shall be a day of a holy assembly to you. You shall do no manner of forbidden labor. A day of sounding the shofar, Yom tirua it will be for you. V'asitem ola l'reyach nichoach ladunai, par ben bakar echad ayel echad, ki b'nei shana shiv'at mimim. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet savor to God, a cow, a ram, and seven lambs, one year old, that are unblemished. Their meal offering shall consist of fine meal mixed with oil, Three Esronim for the cow, two Esronim for the ram, one isaron for the lamb, for each of the seven lambs. One goat as a sin offering to effect atonement for you. Verse number six, These are in addition to the offering associated with Rosh Chodesh and its meal offering, as well as the sacrifice, the burnt sacrifice associated with the daily tamid and its meal offering and their libations in accordance with their instructions as a sweet savor, burnt offerings to God. So effectively what is indicated here is that we, what we offer on Yom Tirah, what we refer to as Rosh Hashanah is in addition to the Rosh Chodesh sacrifice associated with that day, since of course Rosh Hashanah also falls on the first day of the month, as well as the daily sacrifice which is offered every day. The text continues, And on the tenth day of the seventh of this seventh month, it shall be a day of holy assembly to you you shall afflict your souls you shall not do any manner of forbidden labor affliction of the soul is the term that the torah uses to indicate fasting and the festival in question in this particular section is of course Yom Kippur verse number 8 you shall offer as a burnt offering to god a sweet smelling savor savor a cow and a ram and seven year old lambs unblemished they shall be for you esronim lapar esronim and you shall offer a meal offering consisting of fine meal mixed with oil, three esronim for the cow, two esronim for the ram, one isaron for each one of the lambs, for, each, for the, each seven of the lambs, one goat as a sin offering, milvad, not including chatat kipurim ve'olat ha-tamid, not including the sin offering of kipurim, of Yom Kippur, and the daily sacrifice, and their meal offerings, and their libations. So to summarize, what we see for both Rosh Hashanah, as well as for Yom Kippur, is an additional sacrifice, a musaf, consisting of two cows, one ram, and seven lambs, as well as a goat, which is a sin offering. So, of course, this block stands in contrast to the first one, Pesach and Shavuot, in which the sacrifices consisted of... Sorry, to restate that, the sacrifices associated with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur consist of one cow, one ram, and seven lambs, as well as a goat as a sin offering. This stands in contrast to Pesach and Shavuot, where the Torah mandates two cows, one ram, seven lambs, and a goat as a sin offering. In other words, basically, the holidays associated with the first month, Pesach and Shavuot, require two cows, and the holidays associated with the seventh month, namely Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and as we will see shortly, Shmini Atzeret as well, mandate one cow, one ram, seven lambs, and one goat as a sin offering. We continue with the text of the Torah, verse number 12. וחמישה עשר יום לחודש השביעי מקרא קודשי יהיה לכן כמלכת עבודה לא תעשו וחגותם חג לדוני שיבת and on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, it shall be a day of holy assembly to you. You shall do no manner of forbidden labor. You shall celebrate a festival to God for seven days. Parim b'ne vakar elim shnayim K'vasim b'ne shana arba'a asar You shall offer as burnt offerings by fire, sweet savor to God. 13 cows, 2 rams, and seven and 14 lambs that are unblemished. And their meal offering shall consist of the meal offerings that we have seen actually up until now namely, 3 esronim for each cow of the 13, 2 esronim for each ram, uh, for 2 rams, and 1 isaron. For each one of the 14 lambs. Once again, You shall also offer a goat as a sin offering. All of this in addition to the daily sacrifice, its meal offering, and its libation. The Torah will now go on to detail the special Musaf sacrifices associated with each day of Sukkot, what we will discover is, as we get through each day, the number of cows decreases by one, while the number of rams and the number of lambs remains constant. The verses are almost identical for each one of the days of Sukkot, so we will not read all of them inside. I will read the first series, and then indicate that basically what follows is more or less identical. Verse number 17. And on the second day of Sukkot, that is, And on the second day, 12 cows, 2 rams, and 14 lambs that are unblemished shall be offered their meal offerings and their libations for the cows for the rams for the lambs, according to their number shall be as instructed A goat shall be offered as a sin offering in addition to the burnt daily sacrifice and its meal offering and libations. So if the first day we saw 13 cows, 2 rams, and 14 lambs, the second day we have one cow less. 12 cows, 2 rams, and 14 lambs. The rams and the lambs remain constant in number. The cows decrease. And on the third day, the cows decrease to 11, while the rams and the lambs remain constant. On the fourth day, the cows decrease to 10. And on the fifth day, to 9. On the sixth day, to 8 and on the seventh day, to seven. The rams remain constant, two per day. The lambs remain constant, fourteen per day. The meal offerings and the libations always remain constant. For the cows, three isronot. And for the rams, two. And for the lambs, one. And as well each day, a sin offering, in order to effect atonement. Verse number 35. On the eighth day, you shall have a day of stopping, a day of atzeret, or assembly, a day of remaining in God's presence. You shall do no manner of forbidden labor. Verse 36, You shall offer a burnt offering by fire of sweet savor to God, a cow, a ram, and seven lambs. Their meal offerings and libations for the cow, for the ram, and for the lambs, in accordance with their number, as instructed. And a, um, a goat as a sin offering, in addition to the daily sacrifice, its meal offering And its libation. So what we have on the eighth day, what we call Shmini Atzeret, is effectively the same as what we have on Yom Kippur and on Rosh Hashanah for the additional offering, which is to say, one cow, one ram, seven lambs, and a goat as a sin offering. That's why I would like to argue that this actually goes together, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Shmini Atzeret, because the Musaf sacrifices for all three of those festivals are identical. And they are not exactly the same as the Musaf sacrifices for Pesach and Shavuot, as we have seen. So Pesach and Shavuot go together, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Shmini Atzeret, go together as well. Another way to think about it is that Pesach and Shavuot go together because both of those festivals relate to the harvest of grain or tivua. On Pesach, we begin to harvest the barley, which is why it is referred to as Chag Ha'aviv in other places in the Torah. And in Shavuot, we present an offering of the wheat in the form of the two loaves mandated in Parshat Emor in Vayikra 23. Effectively, the seven weeks that join Pesach and Shavuot are the seven weeks associated with the season of the harvest or the season of the ripening and harvest of the grain, beginning with the barley and continuing with the wheat. Those are associated with the first month, the month of Nisan, the month of Iyar, the month of Sivan, when Shavuot naturally falls. On the other hand, the festivals of Tishrei of the seventh month, Bosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, are agriculturally associated with the ingathering of the produce from the field, the fruits of the tree, and all of the things that have been left out in order to dry such that they can be brought inside before the onset of the rainy season. The seventh month, the month of Tishrei, in the land of Israel is associated with the beginning of the rainy season and effectively that is also the beginning of the agricultural cycle. So Pesach and Shavuot, on one end of the year, in the first month of Nisan, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot Shmini Atzeret. on the other end of the year, in the seventh month of Tishrei. That may explain why the Torah assigns additional sacrifices, Musafim, for Pesach and Shavuot, on the one hand, that are different than the Musafim for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Shmini Atzeret on the other it is to indicate that Pesach and Shavuot are intrinsically linked in the same way that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and Sukkot are intrinsically linked as well and certainly in our experience of those holidays it is the case we link Pesach and Shavuot through the counting of the Omer as mandated in Vayikra 23 which naturally creates a a link between the two and in our experience, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot Shemini are regarded by us as what, what is referred to as the Yamim Noraim, or the Days of Ah. One important note, in the Torah, we refer to Nisan as the first month and to Tishrei as the seventh month. In our experience today, we tend to think of Tishrei as the first month of the year, because that is the month during which Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot fall. The truth is that both approaches are correct, but there are in fact two complementary systems for marking time in our tradition. In the first system, which is employed in the Torah and in most of the Tanakh, the festivals begin with Pesach, the year begins with Pesach because that is the season of the Exodus. The Torah states in Shmot chapter 12, "HaChodesh lachem rosh Chodeshim." This month, the month of the Exodus, shall be for you the first of months, and the Pesach festival falls at that time. When we speak of Tishrei as the first month of the year, which is how we think of it today, it is also the case but from the perspective of the agricultural cycle, which means that the rainy season begins in Tishrei, that's the beginning of the agricultural cycle, after the rainy season will be the planting, after the planting will be the growth, after the growth will be the harvest, And the harvest, as I said, begins with the harvest of the grains, Pesach and Shavuot, and continues with the harvest of the fruits of the tree throughout the summer, culminating in Sukkot, Chag HaAsif, and the ingathering of the produce from the fields. So effectively, we have two ways of marking time in our tradition. One that looks at time through the lens of the historical event, and that naturally begins with the Exodus, or Pesach, hence Nisan, as the first month and one which regards the agricultural cycle as the beginning of the year. And in that formulation, which is the one that we employ predominantly today, Tishrei is the first month, and Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the new year. Another important note is that in the Torah and in most of the books of the Hebrew Bible, the months have no names. They are simply referred to as the first month the second month, the seventh month, etc. It's only in the late books of the Hebrew Bible, Migilat Esther, for instance, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah, that we actually find the names of the Hebrew months as we recognize them today. Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, etc., The truth is that the names of the months that we employ today are not Jewish in origin, but actually are a function of the places that the people of Israel found themselves in exile after the destruction of the first temple, which is another way of saying Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevet, etc. are Assyrian, Babylonian, and Persian names for the months, In the Tanakh as a whole, the names of the months are simply the first month, the second month, and the third month, etc. Similar to how we refer to the days of the week. The days of the week in Hebrew have no names. It's simply the first day, the second day, and the third day. These are what are referred to as ordinal numbers, which is to say... They mark a reference point. It's not one, two, three, but first, second, third, where the days of the week, the reference point is naturally the Shabbat, and the months of the year, naturally the reference point is the Exodus from Egypt. It's only when we go into exile and return from that exile that we begin to employ the names of the months as we know them today, because effectively what that suggests is we have acquired something from our experience in exile and that is how we now refer to our calendar. I noted earlier that the intermediate days of Sukkot have sacrifices consisting of cows, rams, and lambs where the number of cows decreases each day. So on the first day of Sukkot, it's 13, and on the second day, it is 12, the third day, 11, the fourth day, 10, etc. When we do the math, we note that the number of cows offered from the first day of Sukkot through the seventh day of Sukkot actually equals 70. The rabbis understood that the number 70 was associated with the nations of the world. In the list of Noah's descendants at the end of Parshat Noah we in fact discover that there are 70 names mentioned. And the rabbis make the remarkable assertion that the 70 cows offered during the festival of Sukkot were actually brought on behalf of the nations of the world for their welfare, and for their well-being, which is to say that they had a very universalistic perspective. The eighth day, Shmini however, was only one cow, one ram, and seven lambs. And of course, not only does this link Shmini to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, as we have noted, but also suggests that the eighth day is not associated with the nations of the world, but is in fact associated with the one nation and the one God, and represents the special link between God and the Jewish people. So effectively, what we have suggested by the sacrifices of Chol Hamo'ed, the intermediate days of Sukkot and the first day of Sukkot on the one hand, and Shmini Atzeret on the other, is a contrast between a universalistic perspective versus a particularistic one. On the one hand, the people of Israel recognize that we are part of a larger reality, the world at large, and on the other hand, we believe that we have a special relationship with God with all of the special responsibilities that that relationship implies. This section of the additional sacrifices, as well as parashat Pinchas, conclude with two final verses, which serve as a summary for the material. Chapter 29, verse 39. Ele ta'asul l'adonai b'mo'adeichem, levad minidreichem v'nidvoteichem, leoloteichem u'l'minchoteichem u'l'niskeichem u'l'shalmeichem. These are the sacrifices that you shall do unto God on your festivals. These are in addition to your freewill offerings and your burnt offerings and your meal offerings, your libation offerings, and your peace offerings. Chapter 30, verse 1, Vayomer Moshe el bene Yisrael kechol asher Adonai et Moshe. Moshe spoke to Bnei Suel everything that God had commanded him, much like the section in Parshat Emor, Parshat concluded with a verse quite similar to this one. In that particular context, the Torah stated it this way. Moshe et el Bnei Yisrael. Moshe spoke the festivals, or of the festivals of God, to the people of Israel. In a similar vein, in our verse, Moshe spoke to the people of Israel everything that God had commanded him to share with them. So this is, of course, an invitation to consider the comparisons and contrasts between what's referred to as Parshat ha in... Emor Vayikra 23 versus Parshat Hamusafim in Parshat Pinchas. And of course, even though there is similarity between the two sections, both of them employing formula, repetition, in order to convey the material, once again, they really refer to different sets of sacrifices for each one of the days.